We're always honored to have Brother Charles Simpson with us here at Abundant Life Church. And uh, he's been coming to this church to speak well over 20 years, uh, 25 years probably. And, of course, I've been the pastor here 20, and he still kept coming. Isn't that something? Um, as a matter of fact, I think that middle picture up there is here, is from here uh, one time. Um, and uh, those, there may be somebody, I don't know who doesn't know Brother Charles, Brother Charles is... Uh, been in church his whole life. He was born in a church, I think. And, uh, uh, but was his, his dad, Brother Vernon Simpson, which I, my wife and I have the pleasure of knowing, uh, and, and his mother, they, they're two of the finest people that ever walked on the face of the earth. And, uh, and of course, Brother Charles followed in his dad's footsteps begrudgingly in becoming a minister and a pastor. And, uh, and, and I was introduced, as many of you were in the, uh, er, I was introduced in the early 70s. Some of you were in the late 60s to Brother Charles' ministry as the charismatic movement was was uh, beginning to develop and to spread all over our country. Jesus music and, and even the Jesus people movement was kind of at the same time. And uh, and so I began to read and listen to uh, cassette tapes, and I know there's young people here today that want to know what a cassette tape is, but um, shoot, I listened to them on reel to reel at one point, so hey, um, no, they don't, yes, that's the truth, that's exactly right, um, uh, but anyway, just over the years, and then fortunate enough in, in 1977 to be, uh, to, to God to bring us to a place that we were spiritually connected to Brother Charles and and John Duke and Curtis Foreman and others uh, in, in, in that covenant relationship. And, and so that's just developed down through the years. Um, and so Brother Charles is a pastor of pastors. In my opinion, he's a preacher of preachers. And he's he doesn't like for us to call him apostle, but he's apostolic in his ministry. And I don't blame him. I don't want to be called anything except for time to eat. But... Uh, but he is apostolic in his ministry in that he goes all over the place. He pastors people around the world. He just got back from Lexington, Kentucky, speaking at eight dinner meetings. How about that for out of the box? Yeah, and he drove that. He drove to Lexington, Kentucky, drove back to Mobile, Alabama, then drove here back here on Friday, and that's after he just got back from a trip to Houston, Texas, or Katy, Texas, or somewhere in that world. And he's older than me. And, mo- and mo- everybody but Buck White just about in this room. Uh, but anyway, what I want you to do, as I said earlier, and I want us to do, is to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us today through his servant, Brother Charles Simpson. Let's welcome Brother Charles. Oh, thank you. Thank you, please. Well, just remain standing for a moment, if you would. Might be your last chance. So uh, let's just stand and, and pray. Lord, you're so gracious to us. Uh, words uh, of such tiny buckets for oceans of your goodness. We are so thankful for our friends, our spiritual family. Thankful for opportunities 
thankful that in a moment you can pour in drops of eternity. I pray that you will help us to see beyond what we see, live beyond where we are, and be able in your strength to do more than we've ever done. We're grateful, Father, and we pray for your blessings, for your insight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I appreciate uh, those of you uh, moving up. Uh, I found out if we don't move, God don't move, and I'm glad you're moving because I believe God will move. And I've I've discovered that the the Lord will only give you what people want to receive. It doesn't matter if you're a good preacher or not. What matters is if the people are hungry or not. And then if they are, sometimes God will tell you stuff you didn't even know yourself and felt good saying it. So uh, anyway, and I appreciate your prayers from me today. I... uh, I have been, as the pastor just said, uh, on the move, and not all of me have arrived yet, so <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about, um, but it, it is so good to see different friends. I, I'm hesitant to call names, but glad to see the Skaggs here, and glad you're doing better, and Amen. Buck, I appreciate love and respect, and he gives me hope that I can keep going, and the Chins are here, and the Hoffmans are here, and friends that I've known for many years, and uh, we consider this our home church. Uh, Stephen and Suzanne send their love and gratitude. Uh, Brother Rob helps us a lot handle our finances and all that, and uh, I, uh, I, you know, if I gotta feel bad, this is a good place to be because you'll pick me up. I know you'll pray for me. Some places might stone me, so I'm, I'm glad. Uh, you heard about the kid that was crying from church and dad said, why are you crying? He said, well, the pastor prayed that I'd be raised in a Christian home. He said, well, what's wrong with that? He said, I want to stay with you guys. So anyway, uh, I, uh, Nothing intended by that, but um, I'm glad to be here, glad to be home. I'm going to share some things, and on a clear, on a day of with a clear head might be a bit challenging, so you just pray God will help me. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about um, parables and analogies, parables and analogies. And, Lord, please help your servant. I'm going to read from John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I'm the vine. I may even know that Jesus wasn't a literal vine. He is the vine. He is the vine. That's an analogy, but it's a very important analogy. I am the vine, and you are branches. Now, you need to read the rest of that. In fact, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, I wish everybody would go home and study. These are the last words that Jesus gave his disciples before the cross. And it's so rich, it's just difficult to unpack. I am the vine. That's the first analogy that I want to deal with, or parable. A parable 
is a story that is paralleled by a spiritual truth. A parable is a short story about a long truth, a great truth. A parable is a veil that has to be rent from the top to bottom so that you can see what's on the other side. A lot of people get the story, but they don't get the meaning. In fact, the Pharisees had memorized the verses, but they didn't get the meaning. And so it is with us a lot of times we become so familiar and accustomed, we just see one-dimensionally. And the truth is that all of nature is a parable. The whole natural world is a parable. I want to read from the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. You may just listen or you may choose to turn. And again, I'd like to read more verses, but I want to read verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible, or the things which are seen are made of things that are unseen. The Word of God's invisible, but it has power, and it made the visible. But there's more in that verse. Amazing to me that it was written some nearly 2,000 years ago and said that everything visible is made of something invisible. Now we know that's true. We know that everything is composed of, of cells that are too small to be observed with the natural eye. Everything <clears throat> that is visible. So I'm going to talk a little bit about being digital. So those are the two analogies or parables that I want to discuss with you and pray that we can see beyond the veil. I want to talk about the vine. Jesus used stories about natural truth to reveal spiritual reality. Talked about shepherds, talked about farmers, talked about vines. And he was really saying something. Now, now parables not only um, reveal, but they also hide. In Matthew 13, the disciples said, Why do you always speak in parables? He said, Because it's not for them to know. Who's it? Who is it for? It's for those that hunger and thirst. God doesn't just force his truth on us. He, he holds it and says, do you want it? If you want it, I'll give it to you. But I, it's, I'm not going to throw pearls before swine, so to speak. I'm not going to cast the riches in front of people who disdain it. And so he gives parables. To some, it's just a nice story. To some, it was a revelation of spiritual truth. And so let's remember that Jesus told stories 
for a reason. Matthew 13 is one of many chapters that are loaded with parables and all of nature. I was in the swamps of Louisiana. My mother's from the swamps. And my grandmother died. And when I was nine years old, <clears throat> and I love my grandmother, she'd put me on her lap when I was two years old and give me Cajun coffee. That might explain some of my problems, but um, she was a sweet, sweet old lady, had 12 kids, German Cajun, that's a bad cocktail, and uh, you could throw a rock, probably adult could, and hit a gator from where we lived, no electricity, and um, she passed away, and her funeral was under a tree, and uh, we were driving to the funeral. And um, my dad pointed out to the swamp as we passed by, and he said, Son, there's a lesson in everything. I remember at nine years old, I looked out there, and I thought to myself, What is the lesson out there? Well, it turns out there are many lessons out there. One is don't go swimming there, but there are others. And I, I, I but I'll never forget it, and I'm, I forgot a lot of things my dad said, unfortunately, but I'll never forget he said that. And um, what you see is only a representation. And too often, we miss the clues. We see the obvious and miss what is more important. And uh, I've told jokes about that. Men are bad about missing clues. I am. I, I look back with pain and as I think of how many clues I missed. And I told the men this the other night, but, you know, the marriage couple went to the marriage counselor, and the, and the counselor told the man, said, your wife tells me you never bought her flowers. He said, I didn't even know she sold flowers. <laughs> you know, it's the kind of thing that uh, some of us would say. But um, it's true, we see... We see one-dimensionally too often. There's a lesson in everything. <clears throat> Why vines? Now, <clears throat> by the way, our founders believed in natural law, the founders of our nation. And they believed that the natural law and spiritual law is written by the same author. And, of course... We don't teach history much anymore, and what we taught, what we teach is unfortunately too often distorted. But um, Jesus says, I'm the vine, and you're branches. Now, he was talking to his disciples. He was talking to a, a relatively small group of people who had followed him for three and a half years. <coughs> your branches. <clears throat> Excuse me. He didn't say the Baptists are a branch or the Pentecostals or the Anglicans or anybody else. He said, you are. The biggest frustration I've had in the ministry, and pardon me, I, I don't mean any harm by saying this. I'm not mad at anybody <laughs> that I can think of. Mm -hmm. And I love churches. My earliest memories of being in home groups, laying on the floor in a pallet, 
Later, we had an apartment in the church, and I preach in churches all the time. But my biggest frustration is Christians have become spectators. And you can tell it in an exciting way. You can preach good. You can cry. You can laugh. You can, but it's hard to move people. <clears throat> Excuse me. To be doers. What Jesus did and what Jesus is doing, he puts a responsibility on the individual, not the institution. Not the church's responsibility. The denomination or the government. It's personal. We've got, it's, it's I, I love the old spiritual, it's not my brother or my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, and it's standing in the need of prayer. It's a personal thing. And so, and I love those rare people who preach and teach personal responsibility because we're, we're, we've grown up in a culture of blame. It's somebody's fault, but not mine. Well, I'm not trying to put blame on Christians. I'm just simply saying, and I'll get to this a little more, we've got to take it personally. We have to. And I'll tell you a little bit more why I think that's true. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are branches. Now, he goes on to to, to warn the branches if they don't bear fruit, that they'll, they'll be pruned. And, and, and that's part of keeping a plant healthy is pruning it. And you cut off the dead wood. And so anyway, um, I was just up in Lexington, as a pastor mentioned, and doing dinners. It's just, it was an unusual situation and lunches. And um, I, I hurt myself eating, and I haven't really gotten over it, but uh, it, it was my duty. <laughs> um, but Paul Petrie, who's a guy that I work with, started these dinners. Uh, he started prayer breakfasts all over Europe, and he couldn't go back to Europe, so he did it at home. And... Uh, but you have 30 minutes, you, you get 20 or 30 people together around dinner table or lunch. And um, I would speak for 30 minutes. And by the way, these were only by, these were by invitation only. And it had to do with being in the same vocational field. Uh, there was an academic dinner. There was a young entrepreneur's dinner. People that own their own business, businessmen's dinner, um, and other attorneys, and so forth. And um, <clears throat> the idea is to build relationships among people. How many of you know that Jesus is a reconciler? And in First Corinthians five, I believe He's given to us. The ministry of reconciliation. Why is that? Because love is the bridge over which truth travels. Jesus is a relational person. He came to put us back in relationship to the Father and with one another. Now, you know the enemy is a relational breaker. God is a uniter. Satan is a divider. 
One thing I've noticed about the last couple of years with the virus going around, I think there are other kinds of viruses going around too, <clears throat> is a lot of people have lost their relationships. I had a vision back at the beginning. Uh, I have a home group once a month I go to, love it. It's my close spiritual family. But I had a vision of a guy with a rake, and there was a pile of burning coals. If you've ever made an outside fire and put wood on it, you know what that is. It'll burn, the coals turn red. And he's raking them apart. You know what happens when you rake them apart. It cools off. And I, I felt like the devil had a rake. And while some things were going strong and going good, he's raking it apart. And people die of loneliness. The fire goes out. Uh, people have been in hospitals and their family couldn't come see them. Dying alone. That's terrible. And that's the enemy's work is to separate and destroy. God's work is to bring together how can one be warm alone? Two are better than one. A threefold cord is not easily broken. And so we don't always know how to do what God wants us to do. But you can tell by that if you're building relationships, you're doing God's work. They won't all work. Even God loves everybody, but not everybody loves him back. But that doesn't determine who you and I are. You and I are like Christ who loved the world and uh, gave himself for it. For all of it. And so when Jesus says, I'm the vine, he's a life giver. And we who abide in him are life receivers and life givers. And we do that in lots of ways through serving, through our words. Um, and by the way, I'm not talking down to anybody. <clears throat> I've got, we all have a lot of genes. And I said, we don't, we, we got them from somewhere way back. And they're not all good. <laughs> I just confessed a while ago that I had German Cajun genes. So anyway, you understand, forgiveness was not big in my vocabulary. <laughs> ah, I don't want to tell you about my relatives. Oh, brother. <laughs> I got an uncle that got mad and plowed up a cemetery. Now, these are serious people. <laughs> My dad and uncle pulled a 12-foot alligator out of the canal that we were baptizing in. Now, it, it's kind of like if you're a mountain person, you know a little bit of what I'm talking about. If you if you don't have business, you ought not to be there. <laughs> and they know whether you ought to be there or not. You know, they don't talk. You just look at their eyes. You can figure it out. Now, so when I talk to you about reconciliation, <laughs> I got a cousin and a, and a, and a uncle that lived next door to each other for 25 years and didn't speak. Now, it was a little problem that arose. Now, here's the thing. So I'm not talking down to you. This is not easy. You read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I didn't want to be a minister. I not, but I didn't. I because I figured I could never make it. 
And I was right, you know, I mean, you, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I didn't know bad language was bad, you know, and being a preacher's kid doubles your problem. Now, I'm talking about reconciliation. Say reconciliation with me. Reconciliation. This is not a natural thing. This is a spiritual thing. So, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. And in 1965, I was having a difficult time because I was being voted on. If you've never been voted on, you missed a blessing. (laughs) And I was going to be voted on for five, six more years on top of that, first by my church and then by my denomination. And... um, just simply over the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And um, I was 27, had a um, wonderful wife uh, that no one would ever suspect of being Pentecostal by any stretch. And um, anyway, I can't go there. it, (laughs) It took her two years to receive the baptism in the Spirit. And I asked her later why. An Episcopal priest prayed for her, and that's why she received it. She wasn't scared of him. And anyway, uh, she said, well, she said, uh, <clears throat> I knew God had done something for you, but I wanted to see if it would last. Anyway, <laughs> I uh, so I got voted on. Now, now, 1965, how many of you pray better when you're up against the wall? Do you? I do. I get serious. And uh, so I'm 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 up early praying every morning, and and the Lord gave me John 15. I love this chapter. I love verse 16. He said, "You did not choose me, but I chose you, and called you and ordained you that you should go and bear forth fruit, and your fruit should remain." I love that last part, remaining fruit. And so it gave me comfort because I knew I didn't choose God. And I was comforted that he chose me. And I understood my purpose to be fruitful. First command to human human race, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth. I, um, I was out on the deck. I don't know maybe early 90s, and my wife had decorated the deck with flower pots. She loved flowers, and and I love flowers, and I like to work outside as much as I can, and I like to study out on the deck. It keeps me outdoors. My vision is outward, and uh, I looked at that flower pot, one of them, and it had beautiful flowers in it, and suddenly I thought, that's like church. It's pretty, but you got to go there to see it. And I thought, hmm, somebody ought to be first flower pot church, <laughs> second flower pot church or something, because it is wonderful to be in church. And I'm not making fun of it, but it's it's limited to location. And then I thought of kudzu. Anybody here know what kudzu is? 
kudzu will eat your leg if you do, if you stand still. I mean, kudzu is a Japanese vine that was brought into the South to stop erosion. And they don't know if it worked or not because they never saw the ground again. You know, <laughs> kudzu, kudzu grows 12 inches a day. Now, I'm serious. I used to drive back and forth to college up, um, what, Highway 42 or something, and, and I'd go up to Birmingham and, and on these back roads, not interstates. But you'd see kudzu everywhere. Now you can see it on interstate too. But it grew up the, the telephone pole. It, it would grow down the line. It would, it would grow 12 inches a day plus it's multiplying branches. You know, it, it'll, it'll grow over your barn. If you don't get rid of it, they thought the cows would eat it. It ate cows. You know, it's the kind of stuff that's moving. And I thought, Vine. Now that's a different thing than a flower pot. A flower pot's beautiful. But you put, you put kudzu in that flower pot and you won't see the flower pot again in a few days. How many of you know Jesus didn't plant flower pots? He said, I'm the vine and you are branches. Wood to God. It's not about how many flowers we can get in the pot, it's how many vines we can get in the world. That's an analogy. It's a living vine. Well, you know the fastest church, fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. have an Iranian friend, Luke Egnazar, spoke at Gatlinburg one year. His whole family is Iranian. They escaped with their lives. His father was a, a pioneer, lived to be a 100. And uh, all his family's in the ministry. His daughter and son-in-law pastor in uh, Turkey, another hard place. And it's grievous what's happening to Christians in a lot of those countries. A lot of them being killed. Poverty, imprisonment, fastest growing churches in the world. How do they grow? They can't grow the way we grow. Most, most places they can't build facilities. They can't do professional stuff. I read the testimony of a guy from Pakistan, another hard place. He's got a church of a thousand people. How? Vine. Relational. Now, <clears throat> help me, Father. You see, it's just, it's not about gathering in, it's about reaching out. And so, and, and it's not about additions, it's about multiplication. I'm all for additions, but you're not going to take the world with additions. You're going to take it with multiplication. Producing producers that produce third generation. 
Paul told Timothy, teach faithful men who will teach others also. You got Paul, you got Timothy, faithful men, others also. By the time you get out to others also, you're talking about thousands of people. It wasn't about how many have you added to the church this year, Timothy. It's about reproducing. I don't know if we can do it. You didn't choose me. I chose you and called you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit. But I don't like that person. They irritate me. Well, got to get over it. Now, I want to talk a little bit. (laughs) You're going to find out right away I'm not a technologist But I'm going to talk about digits. Talk about faith. For me to talk about digits. Around 1989, I got a book. I don't know how I got it. It It's called Three Scientists and Their Gods, written by Robert Wright, who was editor of the New Republic, which was a liberal magazine. Not the kind of book that I normally would read. All these people were atheists or agnostic at best. And so I read the book. You know, you can learn from people that are not Christian sometimes. Anyway, he interviewed the first scientist. It was a guy named Edward Fredkin, F-R-E-D-K-I-N. Fredkin was a scientist and professor at MIT, and if my memory serves me correctly, helped to work on the atomic bomb. Um, and so he's sitting down with this guy, who is a genius, and he he starts asking him questions about the universe, and Fred can just tossed out um, a theory, wouldn't explain it. He said. And I'm paraphrasing. He said, the universe is a computer. Everything is digital. Everything is interactive. Everything has memory. And so Wright pressed him. said, what do you mean by that? He said, I don't know. It's just an idea. Well, it blew my brains out. I thought, everything has memory. Some people think you one day you can extract memories from the cells on the wall. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. It's a strange time. <laughs> God said, I, I used to think I was undecided, but now I'm not sure. You know, it's kind of, I don't know how to get a fixation on things. The universe is a computer. Everything's digital. Unseen governing the scene. Wow. Well, uh, I won't go on with Fredkin, but he said he's an atheist. And Wright asked him at the end of the interview, he said, well, if the universe is a computer, is somebody trying to work out some kind of problem on it? Is that, I don't know. 
And then he interviewed E.O. Wilson. E.O. Wilson is another atheist, studies army ants in Central America. Of course, he's probably gone now, but he actually came to Mobile, too. So he's a real person. So is Fredkin. E.O. Wilson studied army ants, and he's trying to figure out how they communicated. Army ants are devastating. You know, they'll eat you alive. And they're big and ferocious, aggressive. And so he couldn't figure out how they, they didn't have any external organization. So he, he finally isolated a chemical that meant bury the dead. He sprinkled it on a live ant and they buried it. He, he finally, he calls them a superorganism because there are many acting as one. And their coordination is due to an internal control, not external. Are you listening to me? A superorganism, one body, because they're all responding to an internal command. How many of you think we need to learn to listen a little better than we do? I don't remember the third guy. He didn't impress me, but these two guys got into my brain. Digital. Every time there is a technological change, society is affected. Print changed the world. Electricity changed the world. Radio changed the world. TV changed the world. People could see how other people lived. Now, it's digital. We've gone from analog, which is a system orientation, a mechanized, every part does its job, to digital. Rapid beyond imagination. Flexible. Depends upon units that have internal integrity and respond to an internal command. Years ago, I did a a talk called Internal Integrity, External Integration of Structures. If a thing is whole, it can integrate. If it's not whole, it isolates. Healthy cell, healthy body. Trillions of cells. Every cell has memory. That's how it reproduces. Every cell has a purpose, but you can transplant it somewhere else and it'll do a different purpose. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then Jesus talks about his body. Paul says we're the body of Christ. We're living digits, flexible, whole, integratable. When you get a cell that won't integrate, you got a problem. We focus too much on the size body we build instead of the health of the cells we, 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 uh, we make. 
the, our, our task is to produce healthy people. We, 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 we applaud bigness. And I, I'm not against being big. But what we need to applaud is, is health, is soundness, integrity. Comes from the word integer, a whole number that can integrate without a fraction. We're not as healthy as we need to be. And that creates a problem in the body. And that creates a problem in the world that watches us. And so, you know, I, I uh, <laughs> help me, Father. I, I don't know how long I'll be alive, and I hope it's a good while yet. But you know, you start, the older you get, the more you start thinking about what you're going to leave and who you're going to leave it to. And what I pray that God will help me to leave is some healthy people who pass on what they receive. The issue is not just giving, but it's giving to givers. You understand what I'm saying? It's being a vine and not a flower pot. When the season changes, the flower will die, probably. And it's got to be tended and watered. and uh, It's a lot of work. If you got flowers, you know what I'm talking about. I used to raise azaleas and camellias. If you don't tend them, they'll get blight on them. I wouldn't prune my rare varieties because they were rare varieties. I'd prune the daylights out of my common varieties. I'd love snipping them. They were healthy. The rare variety get blight all over it. So I started pruning them too. You got to tend them. Kudzu, you better watch out. <laughs> we need to plant something that's viral in the air. That reproduces, not just a spectator. I like good performance. I like to see people do it well. Excellence is in the details. I love that. But we need reproducers. The culture, it's not getting better because... We've been concentrating on how many flowers we can get in the pot. And the field doesn't have a vine in it. Not enough vines. We, uh, we need to build healthy cells that reproduce. I want to challenge you. I love the church. But 90% of Christians have never reproduced. And they've been fed and fed and fed and fed. And a lot of pastors get fired because they can't feed enough to people who are never going to feed anybody else. Spiritually. Good people. I don't mean they're bad people. They're just cul-de-sacs. 
We need, we need to be fruitful for the sake of our children, our children's children, the world they're going to grow up in. Well, you know some of the junk that's being forced into the brains of tiny children. Choose what sex you're going to be. Critical race theory. You can go on with all that. Put in the mind of a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old. It's like injecting cancer into children. What kind of world are they going to grow up in? Everybody in my little community wasn't a Christian, but they all knew they should be. They're most all premillennial fundamentalists. They could tell you about the book of Revelation. I mean, everybody knew, even those that didn't go. I don't know if there was an atheist. Maybe there was. I don't know if there was any addicts. Maybe there was. But this is a different world. Why? Well, it's the devil. Well, yeah. Truth is, the devil's been a lot more active than we've been. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We can't afford just to be entertained. We've had such a great heritage. Well, we need to grow healthy, whole, courageous individuals who know Jesus and know in whom they have believed. They're able to go out in the world without losing their identity. Um... We need to grow people who have internal structure. It's not just what they join, but it's what's in them. We need to, we need to understand that the world is moving from top down thinking, pyramid thinking. It's moving to common people. Country people had it right. The community that I recall back in the swamp, if you acted like a big shot, you might get shot. I mean, they had no... I I told my uncle, we're sitting out on his porch in the swamp, and I'd go visit him. I loved him. He was... Anyway, he wouldn't talk. You ever hear the phrase, pass the time of day? He'd sit with you and not say a word. He'd pass the time of day. And I told him, I was making a conversation. I said, Uncle Jim, my, my brother Riley has been elected dis- district attorney <clears throat> out in Texas. He didn't say a word. And after a while, he said, thinks he's a big shot, doesn't he? <laughs> I said, no. He said, yeah, he does. <laughs> 
And some of you know that what I'm talking about. Somebody wrote a book. I'm trying to think of his name. The world is flat. Things are flattening out. Um, Martin Gurry, a Cuban, came to this country, worked for the CIA. He's not a political person. He wrote a book called The Revolt of the Public. It's a pretty thick book. And he's, he's not, he's not advocating. He loves democracy coming out of Cuba. And he's afraid because he sees our country becoming nihilistic. And he, he sees that people are losing trust in their institutions. The government, educational system, religion. And he says, and he studies revolutions having, of course, been in Cuba, but the French other revolutions, he said, revolutions always begin when people lose their faith in the existing world. I believe that's true. There is an opportunity and a market to rebuild trust, but we have to be trustworthy. We have, you, you only impart what you have. You don't impart what you say. You impart what you are. I tell people, look, if you've got mumps, you can preach measles, but mumps is what they're going to get. We impart more than we know. It's more chemical than we know. Somebody said, don't worry that they don't listen. Worry that they watch. So, we need to rebuild trust in relationships. We need, we need to stop leaning on titles and positions, but on authenticity. Well, authenticity is the requirement for the day to come. And for the day we meet Jesus. Are you building relationships? Are you establishing the bridge over which truth can travel? Can you build relationships with somebody you don't know yet? Somebody not in our circle. Somebody maybe you don't really like. Don't let the enemy Tear down bridges. Abide in the vine. Reproduce. Bear fruit. There's nothing more satisfying when you get old. It's to look back and see that there is some fruit. Thank God, Pastor.